Hello, this is Pastor Patrick Hines, and I want to press on here in the book of Romans, just a few verses at a time, and trying to do a few more of these short videos, and uh, going to uh, add a, an Old Testament book, and I'm going to try to make these a daily thing, about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, um, just a few verses at a time, and um, I'd like to add Nehemiah. Uh, so this will uh, be today, uh, Romans, and I might do a, another video later today, so the Old Testament book will be um, on Tuesdays, and then there's a couple other things I'd like to do, but I'd like to try to do a five-day thing if possible, but we'll, we'll see. But let's press on here. We're on verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, reading from the New King James Version here. Uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now that's an extraordinarily important uh, um, couple of verses of Holy Scripture here. When Paul has done his introduction. He's talked about Jesus Christ, who was born um, of the seed of David according to the flesh, but it was declared to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead. And he goes on there and gives the theme of the book. Um, he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16 because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So that's going to be the theme of the book. We are justified by faith alone, by Christ alone, through faith alone, meaning we trust in his finished work, his righteousness, this righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel is imputed to our account. We're going to see that over and over and over again uh, throughout the rest of the book. But in order to set the background of the book of, of Romans, really the background of the whole gospel, you have to talk about sin. You have to talk about man's need for redemption, his need for a righteousness that is not his own uh, because we're fallen and God's wrath is revealed from heaven. You know, I've been doing a lot of studying uh, lately, been rereading Christianity and Liberalism by Machen. It's actually a podcast called Christianity and Liberalism that they did in honor of Machen's book. Uh, I can't recommend that book enough, but Machen really hammers that point home, um, that the liberals were saying that, you know, that the chief doctrines of the Christian faith are the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. Both of those ideas are perfectly false. God is not everyone's father. Creator, yes. Father, no. Mankind in sin is an enemy of God and an orphan. And it's not until we repent and believe that we are brought into God's family, that we are adopted into God's family. It's not until our sin is dealt with at the cross and we repent of it and we trust in the finished work of Christ that we are changed from being God's enemies to being his friends. And so the background for the precious gospel message, this gospel that reveals the righteousness of God, the, the very righteousness that was achieved by Jesus Christ that is imputed to our account, the background for that is the wrath of God. And there's just no getting away from this. You cannot understand the Christian faith if you don't understand the holiness of God and God's anger against human sinfulness. And any addition, any, any notion of the Christian faith that leaves that out is not the Christian faith at all. It's not the Christian faith at all. Okay, listen, 
Let's go through that again. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So many people think that, uh, well, the, the revelation that God makes in creation is, is a saving revelation. And if man will just make a, a move in his heart towards the God who's revealed in creation, then, then he can be saved in that way. But, but dear ones, what's revealed from heaven is not the gospel. It's the wrath of God. God's wrath is revealed from heaven. Against what? All of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean? To suppress something. That uh, Greek verb, uh, katakon, that's used there. It's kind of like, the illustration I've always thought of is it's like when you're a little kid and you're in a swimming pool and you've got a big beach ball. And have you ever, you know, you, you wrap your arms and you put your chest over the beach ball and you try to see if you can push that, that giant beach ball under the water. And no matter how hard you try, it just keeps, it'll, it'll eventually slide out from under you and come back up. That's the way that man's knowledge of God is. Man fights and fights and fights and fights to suppress it, but it just won't go away. It's like Augustine said, you know, a thief can justify his thievery, but he can't stand being stolen from. In other words, he'll... He'll be a moral relativist when it comes to his violations of God's law, but then he'll react with righteous indignation as if there's a transcendent standard that everyone is accountable to, that they're not supposed to steal from him. Okay, man cannot help himself. Um, he knows God, but he's actively engaged in the suppression of the truth. So if this is true, which it is, because God is the ultimate whistleblower, he knows men better than they know themselves, I would expect to see a lot of this. A lot of people who say, where's God? I don't see any evidence for God. There's no evidence of any kind that God exists. And yet they act like he's there. They act like there are moral standards. They act like there, there are standards of our conduct. And they'll act like God is a real thing. But they'll say that they don't believe in him. It's just like the exact illustration of this, a perfect illustration of this would be someone who denies the existence of air. And Greg Bonson used that illustration. Um, he says, I'd love to see two people come and, and debate the existence of air. Imagine it, profound and articulate reasoning, cross-examination, all the while, in order to debate, air has to exist. And yet the person who denies the existence of air can say, well, I don't believe in air and I can breathe just fine, see? And the person who does believe in air can say, yes, you don't have to affirm a personal belief in air to be able to breathe, but air has to exist for you to breathe. It's the exact same thing with God. You don't have to profess to believe in God in order to function in this world, to use laws of logic, to understand that there are laws of morality, that uh, scientific procedures will work. You don't have to profess to believe in God to use all those gifts from God. But God has to exist to be able to use them. And so when someone tells me they're an atheist, when someone tells me they don't believe in God, I don't get into any of that stuff, to me that is literally on the same level as someone saying, well, I don't believe in air, and I can breathe just fine. See, I, I, I don't believe in air. Yeah, but in order for you to huff and puff your arguments against God, air has to exist. It's the same thing here. Men suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. You cannot look at creation. You cannot look at the wonders without number in creation. In your backyard. I mean, look at this. 
The sun is rising over there, over the cow pasture, and it's just glorious. I mean, this, this, uh, the camera on my little iPad mini here is not doing it justice. It's gloriously beautiful stuff. The colors, the sunshine, I can hear the sound of the birds chirping and everything else. It's glorious stuff. I, I can't help but be absolutely enraptured with the worship of the God that made all this stuff. It's amazing. And yet someone will look at it and go, eh, it happened by chance. As if chance exists, as if chance has a will, as if chance can do anything. The fact is all men know God, not, they know, not in a saving way, but they know that he's there and they know that they fall short of his glory and they know that they sin against him because God has shown it to them. It says, what may be known of God is manifest in them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. That's an interesting, that's a, it's a very tough word to translate, theotetos. His, his divine nature, his eternal power and divine nature, you, you can't help but see it in the wonders that he created. You know, when uh, the house I was growing up in, when I was a kid, you know, my parents were, um, were and are very devout, godly Christian people. I thank God for my parents. But we had a, a bright and a dim switch on the light in the bathroom. And my dad showed me how my iris would contract all by itself. If you turn the bright on and then the dim on, it's like it would get real tight and then it would open back up and real tight. I used to sit in the bathroom and just do that over and over and over again and watch the, the iris contract and expand, it, it contract, expand. I would turn it off and leave it off for like 10 seconds and then flip it on bright and my eye would go from being real big to like real small and I'm not even doing anything. I just, it's not like I would send a signal to like contract my iris. I, I wasn't my pupil, not doing that at all. And I remember sitting in the bathroom, even before I was a Christian, and just thinking, God made my eyes. God made that to work that way. How could anyone think that that is an accident? There's purpose to all of these things that God made. And it's obvious. It's obvious. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Okay, it's not an obscure revelation. It is a clear revelation. You see God's handiwork in creation. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. On apologetus. They are without a defense. Man has no excuse. For not acknowledging, knowing, and bowing his knee to the God that he knows is there. And it says, because although they knew God, although they knew him, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. You know, failure to glorify God and failure to thank God, those are two of the chief reasons God is angry with mankind. We don't glorify him. And we're not thankful. We complain, we bellyache, we moan, we, we chafe at his providence. We think that our lives shouldn't be this way and I shouldn't be this way. And there, there should be different things. And the way God has, has ordered things in my life and the trials I deal with, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's evil, folks. That's pure sin on our part to complain and grumble against God like that. 
They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. That's why that opening question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, such a great summary. What is man's chief end? What is man's chief purpose? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But instead of doing that, instead of glorifying and thanking him, listen, verse 21, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Man without God is a fool. It's not, it's not saying he's not intelligent. The word fool is a moral judgment. Man is a fool. He is suppressing what he knows is true because he loves sin. And he doesn't want to bow his knee to God because that would mean that I can't do what I want. Their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, it says that over in Ephesians chapter 5. We were reading that last night um, for family worship. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 8, I believe it is. Yeah. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You see, before we were converted, if we really are converted, we walked in darkness. Our thoughts were futile too. We walked in darkness too. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And that's what's glorious is Romans 1, Romans 1 and 2 and the first part of Romans 3, it's pretty dark stuff. I mean, it's, it's a, an incredible array of indictments that God has made against the human race. And it's very dark. And the sin list at the end of Romans 1, I mean, it catches everybody. But what's amazing about all this here in Romans 1, this background of the wrath of God and the suppression of truth and man in rebellion and failing to glorify and thank God, what the book of Romans goes on to say, what the good news of the Christian faith is, in real space-time history, Jesus Christ came in order to save the people that do all this stuff. He dies for them. He takes their failure to glorify and thank God on himself at the cross. He takes all of their sexual promiscuity and their covetousness and their laziness and their pride and selfishness and envy and is nailed to the cross and dies for it. God loves the people that do all this stuff. He dies for them and saves them. That's the glory of the Christian faith. And it's an objective fact of history. Christ came. He really died. He left footprints in the sand. He bled blood that was RH typable. He really died on that cross. He was taken down and his dead body was wrapped up, laid in a tomb, and he is alive today. He rose from the dead, was raised for our justification before God. And so that's the beating heart of the Christian faith. So we ended there at verse uh, 21 and, or 22, and we'll pick it up there next time. Thank you all for watching or for listening.